0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security for December 24th, 2020. In this episode, a look back at 2020 in security, including malware that got past Apple, the last flash player, ransomware, and malware that targeted Mac developers. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Ho, ho, ho. Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? (laughs) I'm in a Christmas spirit. We're releasing this podcast on Christmas Eve, but we should tell our listeners a secret. We recorded it a week earlier because you're going away and I've got some stuff to do on Christmas. Um, Yeah, Christmas is here, but it's also the end of the year. So we thought that we would look back at the year in Apple security. A lot happened this year. Big things, little things, new operating systems, Um, nothing as much as the pandemic, though, which unfortunately has caused a lot of difficulty For all of these types of operating systems, you know, we saw the delay in iOS and macOS and the iPhone, et cetera. Um, But we're getting to the end of the year. We've got vaccines soon. So let's start with malware.
2: Yeah, there was quite a bit, again, uh, this year. We we certainly saw a lot of malware last year. And and by the way, Kirk did a great write-up last year talking about the 2019 year-in-review um, and so you can check that out if you're if you want to take a trip down memory lane for the previous year as well. Um, there's certainly a lot of good stuff that uh, that we covered last year, including a lot of new malware that Intego discovered or was uh, the first to detect. Definitely worth checking that out too if you if you want to see what we talked about last year for 2020. Yeah, this uh, once again a lot of malware. We're we're seeing a lot of things that are. Uh, moving in the direction of being more complicated, um, putting in some more like advanced features and things like that. Malware is doing more. It's finding new ways to do its malicious things, like getting around the, the new uh, notarization system that Apple put in place. Um, we're seeing a lot of this. As we mentioned last week, Now, there have been at least four times that we know of when Apple has actually notarized malware from particular developers. Uh, This is likely to continue happening into the next year, and it's not something that we can easily uh, stop or that Apple can easily stop, Um, just because there's always new and clever ways to try to work around Apple's system. You know, they're using, they've used in the past steganography, um, they've hidden things inside of a a zip file inside of another file. And there's all sorts of like clever, creative ways to bypass those malware checks that Apple does automatically.
1: The notarization process, if you're not aware, is a process where a developer uploads an app to an Apple server. Uh, It has to include a code signature, which specifies which developer it's from. It has to be a registered developer. Apple does, let's call it a rudimentary scan for malware. And then they approve it, and this allows it to run and to to launch on uh, Macs without any sort of a warning, say, hey, this may contain malware. But the process is really quite limited. They can't actually run an app to see what it does.
2: Right, exactly. It's not that... um you know that apple doesn't have any capability of doing that it's just that the checks that they're doing at this point in time are are relatively limited and as we've mentioned before this is not the same thing as when you submit an app to the app store where you have an automated process as well as human reviewing those apps Um, in this case with notarization it's just simply an automated process and um, there's certainly, I think, more that Apple could be doing as part of this automated process. Certainly, it's, it seems like a lot of things have been slipping past them. And so there's, there's more, I think, Apple could be exploring in um, how to better determine that something might be malware. Um, because it, it, this is, it, it's clearly not helpful, right? I mean, the, the whole point of notarization is to eliminate, you know, to the degree possible, malware on the Mac.
1: And it's just not doing that. Um,
2: so clearly Apple needs to improve the way that they're going about this.
1: Okay, a report early in the year showed that 10% of Macs are infected with malware, and most of it is malware that Intego discovered in 2018 called OS X Schlayer. Um, what's really interesting about this is that this is a fake Flash Player installer that installs Trojan horses. Now, we're going to do a whole episode next week about the history of Flash Player, but I don't know about you, Josh, I'm pretty stunned that 10% of Macs are infected and these Macs belong to people who think they need to upgrade Flash Player.
2: Yeah, well, and, and again, this statistic was from about a year ago now, really, at this point. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that number may have even increased over the past year. Um, because, by the way, it's, it's so Schleier usually uh, comes in the form of, of of a Flash Player Trojan Horse. Um, But there are a lot of other types of malware that use uh, a Flash Player Trojan Horse. So um, really, if if you're looking at all Flash Trojan Horses, there's probably a lot more than that, just that 10%. Because that 10% is really just looking at the one Schlayer family. So um, there's a lot of malware. Probably almost every Trojan Horse, almost... Uh, the most, certainly the most common one is these fake Flash Player installers or updaters. Um, and you'll see these all over the place. Um, you uh, will browse a website and may you may click on a link. It tells you it's going to take you to some place. Um, and it ends up redirecting you to a Flash Player updater, or so it seems. And it tells you, in order to continue, you need to update your Flash Player. And so a lot of people fall for this, they, they download it, they install it, um, and in most cases, it's not actually installing Flash Player at all, and it's just pretending to and installing some malware on your system. Um, and uh, we'll talk a lot more about this next week. Um, so I won't go into too much more detail about it, but yes, this does continue to be a persistent problem all throughout the year. Okay.
1: So evil quest, I just love the names that, um, companies give to malware and usually it is the security companies every now and then malware creators actually put a name someplace into their code. Um, but evil quest just sounds like fun, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh Evil Quest was also known as Thief Quest too. It had a couple of different names.
1: That sounds like um, a role-playing this... game whereas Evil Quest sounds like it's doing something <laughs> serious.
2: Well, yeah, the the funny thing is that um Evil Quest was kind of the the first name that was come up with and then Evil Quest I guess turned out to be the name of some video game and so Uh, The company that originally discovered this changed their name to ThiefQuest, but it didn't quite catch on with all the other companies. So, but anyway, so EvilQuest or ThiefQuest was um, circulated through BitTorrent sites uh, and it was hidden in um, pirated copies of software. And there were a lot of things. Little Snitch is a popular uh, firewall app for Mac um, also Ableton software mixed in key. Um, and, and there were other apps as well that were Trojanized. Um, but basically the idea is that, you know, if people are looking for software on BitTorrent, commercial software, that usually means they're looking to get it illegally. And so um, these malware developers in this case, they shoved some malware into uh, these uh, installers for this legitimate software. And so if you were to install the legitimate software, um, and thinking that, oh, I'm just going to get this for free, you would also get malware installed as well. Um, so it's, it's obviously not a great idea for, from an ethical perspective to, to, to try to steal software anyway, but also you should be aware that very often when you download uh, software from BitTorrent it's it's likely to also come with something else that you didn't expect, like adware or some other
1: kind of malware. Well, this one's interesting because it's ransomware, but you can't even pay because they didn't put an email address for you to send the information about your Bitcoin payment.
2: We've seen this sort of thing in the past as well. Um, it, you could call this wiper software in cases where it's not actually possible to decrypt it. If if there's no communication between you and the ransomware distributor, then you can't really tell them, okay, hey, I've deposited some Bitcoin. So now you can give me the the decryption key, right? Um, They can't actually do that because they don't give you any way to contact them in this case. Um, Now, thankfully, it looks like with this particular malware, uh, nobody actually gave any bitcoin to this malware maker so it's possible that some people may have gotten their files encrypted but nobody um, was fooled into actually paying anything to get their files back which is a good thing um the more that um malware makers have a problem with trying to actually get money out of people with ransomware and other things like that um if, it, if it's difficult for them to actually make money, that, then they're less likely to actually try the same techniques in the future. Uh, so hopefully this could mean that that particular ransomware developer won't try again.
1: So we've also seen some malware ported from Windows, and that's pretty new on the Mac, isn't it? Yeah, this
2: is something that we don't see very often, but um, interestingly, in the same month, uh, there were two different types of Mac malware that came to light that had been ported from Windows. Um, this was uh, in October. We talked about how Gravity Rat and IP Storm, also known as Interplanetary Storm, <laughs> um, are, are now available on Mac as well as Android and Linux also. Uh, these were ported from Windows, presumably just because they had a lot of success on the Windows platform. And the developers uh, of these two different uh, types of malware thought that, hey, we might as well put this on the Mac as well. What I find interesting about this though, is that um, even though these came from different developers, they both were discovered on the Mac around the same time. And um, this is really fascinating because before this, we didn't really see a lot of malware being ported to the Mac. It has happened before. Um, we've, we've seen uh, malware called Snake, Uh, It had a couple of other names as well. Turla is another popular name um, that was ported to the Mac from Windows in 2017. There was also some malware that was ported to the Mac from Windows in 2014. But you can tell that that's a pretty big gap, right? There was like a three-year gap and then another three-year gap. And now all of a sudden in one month, we had two different uh, pieces of Windows mal reported to the Mac, so that that 's interesting that could be a sign of things to come. Uh, you know Macs are becoming more popular, you know especially now that Apple has these incredibly fast Apple silicon Macs. There are going to be a lot more people who are you know hearing about how incredibly fast Macs are, and I think are going to be interested in getting a Mac for the first time for that reason and um, so Macs are probably going to become an even bigger target, and so we may see more of this. Coming up in the next year as well.
1: There's not going to be any difference with the M1 Max and Intel Max in terms of what malware can do, right? Obviously, it's a different chip. So, a malware that maybe was taking advantage of a hardware vulnerability, and we've talked about a couple of these Intel hardware vulnerabilities in the past, such as Spectre and Meltdown. The M1 chips are too new to know if there's going to be a possibility, but I wonder if malware creators are kind of curious to see whether there are going to be any vulnerabilities in these new chips.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there will be a lot of investigation into that over the next year. In terms of like vulnerabilities versus malware, a lot of times malware doesn't necessarily exploit vulnerabilities. Um, a lot of times, uh, especially with typical Trojan horses and things like that, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just install themselves in like the user writable space. So for example, they might uh, get installed in your user app folder or they might install a persistence method. um, In other words, a way for it to automatically start up again after you restart your computer. Um, They'll put that in a location that uh, is specific to your user account. So it's a place that um, is normal for you to be able to write to as the owner of that account. So malware a lot of times doesn't even necessarily have to exploit vulnerabilities, but yes, I'm sure that we will see more of that. And there will definitely be a lot of people who are gonna be interested in being among the first to find vulnerabilities in M1 and other Apple Silicon processors.
1: Okay, we'll take a break and when we come back, we'll look at the rest of the security issues affecting Apple devices in 2020.
0: Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security
1: experts. Okay, before the break, we were talking about malware exploiting hardware vulnerabilities, and there certainly was one exception. Xset in August was discovered, and it took advantage of some zero-day vulnerabilities
2: yeah that's right um x c s set is how i like to pronounce it it's it's a, this is one of those things where the name probably wasn't the most well conceived but x c s s e t all caps is is how this malware uh, was named uh i call it x c s set but anyway th- there's a lot of interesting things about this um Uh, including that, yes, there are two zero-day vulnerabilities that are being exploited by it. So before we get to that, um, I think one of the most interesting things about it really is that this seems to have been targeting developers, um, people who actually write software for the Mac. The main way that this was distributed was through Xcode projects. So first of all, Xcode is Apple's program that you can use to develop software for Apple platforms, whether it's Mac or iOS, for for example. Um, So Xcode projects are uh, files that you can download that um, already have code built into them. So basically when, when you're developing an app, you can save it as an Xcode project. And then, and you can distribute that Xcode project if you want other people to be able to reuse your code. And so a lot of developers um, as sort of a shortcut when they're starting to develop a new app, they might go and see, hey, has somebody already put time into developing some of these features and have they open sourced it? You know, Have they made that available for anyone to use? Um, so there were actually some Xcode projects that were found on GitHub, uh, which is a popular site for distributing uh, uh, software and development and things like that, source code. Um, where the actual Xcode projects were infected with XCS at malware, and so that means that the developers actually downloaded these projects and may have potentially infected other software that they developed. Um, now we we didn't discover any other apps that were publicly distributed that contained XCS at malware. But um, it's possible that some smaller developers may have had an issue with that as well. And that just didn't, it, you know, it wasn't on a big enough scale to be on anybody's radar. But uh, th- there were a lot of really interesting things about this. I think one of the other really interesting things is that it exploited zero-day vulnerabilities. Again, this is not something we see very often in malware.
1: A zero-day vulnerability is something that is so new that... Um, the company developing the software or the operating system hasn't even had time to patch it yet. So these are the kind of things that hackers try to find. They've got a very small window in which they can exploit them before the vendor updates the software.
2: Right. And a lot of times uh, you can make a lot of money selling zero-day exploits to other companies or even in some cases to uh, the company that has the vulnerability. So Apple has a bug bounty program uh, that some vulnerabilities may fall under. And so you could even get money from Apple. Um, You can get a lot more money, unfortunately, on the black market selling a lot of zero-day vulnerabilities. Um, But rather than trying to make money by selling these zero days, they actually chose to put these into this malware that they created. It leads one to wonder... What exactly was the motivation? Who actually developed this malware, and why were they burning zero days rather than making money from those zero days
1: directly? Burning zero days. I like that idea.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in any case, um, XCS, that was one of the really interesting pieces of malware just because of these and other things.
1: If you go in the show notes, you'll find a link to my article about the year in review for Apple Security 2020. And in addition to links to the various topics we're talking about, we've also got some um, podcast players embedded for the various episodes where we've discussed these things in more detail. Um, the next topic is scams, phishing, and data breaches. We didn't see a lot of specifically new phishing this year, but with the COVID pandemic, um, there were some cyber criminals that were trying to take advantage of this. And there was a particular series of emails that contained a link to a Microsoft Word document that when opened by an unsuspecting victim would disable the built-in malware protection on Windows computers and then download Windows malware. That's pretty clever when you think about it. You can't do that on the Mac though.
2: At, at, at least we didn't see any malware that was particularly exploiting coronavirus, not that I can recall anyway, on the Mac uh, this year. But, uh, but there certainly are... Ways that this kind of malware could just as easily infect a Mac. So I, the reason why we published an article about this, even though um, you know Intego is mainly known for for developing Mac antivirus software, we thought it was worth mentioning just because this is something that people should be aware of. Anytime that there's some big thing in the news, it, you know, and it could be the beginning of a pandemic, it could be things related to uh, a transition in a, a presidency, you know, uh, in an election year. There could be a number of things that um, are going to be interesting enough that people might be willing to open a document attached to an email that um, seems to um, have some really special information that might be unique, right? Um, Or it might even be a link in in other cases that could lead to malware or even uh, a phishing attack. So there are always going to be people who are trying to exploit whatever is in the news, try to cause problems for people and to profit from exploiting other people.
1: With so many people working from home, which is something you and I have been doing for years, a lot of people are using Zoom and other tools such as Skype and FaceTime, um, communicating with employees, with family, et cetera. Now, early in the year, we spent a lot of time talking about Zoom, and I linked to a podcast episode from April 3rd where we said Zoom is a security and privacy nightmare. Zoom seems to have done a lot of work, and I haven't seen anything in the last few months that suggests that Zoom has any issues anymore. Have you? Um, Not too much.
2: I I mean, there are still some things that are being discovered in Zoom from time to time, but uh, not nearly to the same degree as uh, the newly coined term Zoom bombing earlier this year. Uh, I, I saw, I don't know how many mainstream news stories about Zoom bombing and and how this was affecting, uh, you know, these major government meetings and people would jump on the call or they would, uh, you know, jump into school meetings um, and, you know, start saying inappropriate things or doing inappropriate things in front of the cameras. And and it was a big issue. And so Zoom had to do something about this. And they did pretty quickly um, take some actions to uh, limit the likelihood that somebody could just jump on any random Zoom call. So, uh, to their credit, um, Zoom really took off this year in popularity. Um, they had been sort of more of a niche solution previously. I think um, you know there there are a lot of other solutions for video conferencing as well. And um, because Zoom suddenly became so popular, it was really put in the spotlight, and uh, there were a lot of people looking to see how they could exploit it. Um, so I would say overall, even though there were a lot of issues early in the year, um, they have done a pretty good job uh, overall in in Beefing up the security of their product.
1: Okay, the great Twitter hack of 2020, and that was really impressive. Uh, a number of very important people, uh, CEOs and politicians, had their accounts compromised. Uh, someone broke into Twitter, and I think they got access to 28 accounts, as a small number, and they sent out tweets about some cryptocurrency scam. And it turned out that um, some young people had bribed a couple of Twitter employees who were working from home, and security wasn't great, and Whereas they could have gotten direct messages from politicians and CEOs that would have had an enormous value because of the information, it turned out that they just made, I don't remember the number, $10,000, $18,000 off this scam?
2: Yeah, they, they kind of uh, tweeted links from a lot of these verified accounts uh, that had tons and tons of followers. And you know some people, unfortunately, fell for those, thought that uh, those messages actually were from the celebrities. And um, so they did make some money off, that is, the attackers made some money off of the scam um, and this Twitter hack. Um, unfortunately, yeah, this is something that um, really could happen to any company. Uh, Twitter unfortunately fell victim to this. They did say afterward that they're taking a lot of um, measures internally to sort of mitigate these sort of things. One of the big issues. Was that just about any Twitter employee had access to these very um, elite, like god mode, you know, credentials that could be give them unlimited access to anybody's Twitter account, and so this this uh, was available to more Twitter employees than really needed that, and that was part of the problem. Um, because now these attackers just had to find a couple of Twitter employees who were willing to take a bribe or whatever. And then they were able to get access for themselves uh, to perpetrate this, this scam and and, and hack into uh, to some notable accounts. So um, are we going to see this again? Yeah, probably, to be honest. <laughs> um, it may not... It may not be Twitter again, although I wouldn't be surprised if something like this happens with Twitter again in the future. Um, it's certainly not the first time that something similar to this has happened with Twitter. You know, they're still not really where they should be in terms of security. They've gotten a lot better this year, especially because of this attack and all the media attention that it got. But uh, we'll see this happen again. I'm quite certain with other social networks and, and uh Really, I mean, this can happen with other companies too. Um, Amazon, you know, um, they've certainly had issues in the past where their employees have been uh, baited by people who, you know, claim to be some user, and it turned out they actually weren't, but they were able to get information out of Amazon employees just by uh, tricking them and making them believe that they were actually those users.
1: Okay, I think the story that I'm going to remember the most from this year is the one that we reported on in August. Someone's iPhone was stolen. The user locked the iPhone using Find My iPhone, and yet the people who got the phone were able to get tens of thousands of dollars from their bank account and make purchases from Apple's App Store. It turns out that since the, let's call them hackers, who got the phone were able to figure out his six-digit passcode, that that passcode gave the hackers access to all their passwords. Now, I was aware of this, right, that on an iPhone, all your passwords are protected by that passcode. But I wasn't aware that the Apple ID passcode was also in the keychain, and that since I believe iOS 13, you can change the Apple ID passcode in the iCloud settings with nothing more than that six-digit passcode. This is a fascinating story. I immediately changed my passcodes to make them much longer than six digits, because While it's unlikely that this is going to happen to us, you never know. And in someone getting that much access to your life and your data, once they get access to your passwords, they can get access to your email, change the password, then start changing all your accounts on other websites, and there's nothing you can do about it.
2: Right. And we talked about this before, that uh, the most important account for you to protect is your email account. And If somebody can get into your phone, then they can get into your email account because chances are you have either the Apple Mail app or you have the Gmail app or something on your device where you can just open that app and instantly get into your email um, without having to put in your email password. So now that passcode to get into your phone becomes the weak link. So if you've got a four digit PIN or even six digits, um, that's not really good enough, um, especially if you're concerned that there's a, any possibility that someone could get a hold of that device and physically take it from you and get into it. Um, now, one of the reasons why this should be such a concern, you might think, well, six digits, though. I mean, that's plenty long.
1: That's a million possibilities.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's a lot, right? Um, so th- there theoretically shouldn't be any easy way for somebody to guess your six-digit PIN. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. One is that people do tend to be pretty predictable with their passcodes. Um, I'm willing to bet that probably a lot of listeners to this show and a lot of people throughout the world who are using a six-digit PIN to get into their phone are using a date. Now, if you're shocked and horrified that I know that, well, it's just <laughs> because like, this, this is something that's very common, right? Um, with six digits, you can do um, you know a two-digit uh, day month, year month, day year, however you know in whatever order is is popular in your uh, country or whatever, um, but this is a very uh, common type of passcode, and guess what people tend to pick passcodes that have to do with like birth dates of somebody that 's close to them or their the date they were married or the date they graduated or other things that are easily memorable to them that have some significance to them. And so that's one of the big problems. The other thing is when you're talking about a pin, um, this is something that people can easily shoulder surf, right? They can see you typing this in from a distance because you're hitting these big buttons on your screen. When you're typing in a passcode that's much longer than six digits and has letters and numbers, now you're using the full keyboard. And it's much more difficult to see what someone is typing from a distance or over their shoulder or things like that.
1: Okay. Um, In the article that's linked in the show notes, you can listen to our episode... Um, from august 28 talking about this i'm still fascinated by it and it, it is the one thing that made me change what i do with my devices so finally new apple security and privacy features we've got an article that i linked to with an overview of the new features in big Sur and ios 14 one key feature is a new safari privacy report which tells you how many trackers are tracking you on websites and in last week's episode, uh, we talked about the new app privacy information that's in the app stores, the Mac app store, the iOS app store, uh, in which developers have to sort of tell you what they're doing with your data and what kind of data. So that's, it's been a busy year, I would say. Uh, I think we've had a lot of things going on. I guess next year is probably going to be the same, because every year we have a whole litany of security problems. It's just they're a little bit different from year to year. Exactly,
2: yeah. The world of security is always evolving um, both on the uh, defense side and the uh, offense side. The attackers are... Always going to find new ways to to do uh, fun things with your computer and your phone. So um, you've always got to be vigilant. Make sure to keep your devices up to date.
1: All right. In next week's episode for the last episode of the year, we're going to talk about the history of Adobe Flash Player and the history of Flash Player malware. Until then, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security. With your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And, if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.